Hello, welcome to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth, and today it's the second part of our two-part special podcast series on taxes, this being tax season in Canada. I'm your host, Gordon Turtle, with CPA Alberta, and returning with me is Dale Somerville, CPA CA, and founder and president of W. Dale Somerville Professional Corporation. Today we will be continuing our discussion from our previous episode about taxes and tax tips from Dale. If you missed the first episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And a reminder that the contents of this podcast are intended only as general information and should not be construed as direct advice for your personal tax situation. For assistance with your tax situation, please check with your own tax specialist. 150,000 new businesses are created in Canada each year, but only Emotional intelligence is a critical skill for leaders. How do I develop artificial intelligence will take over analytics, big data, trend analysis. that Alberta needs to diversify its economy, but how do we do that? Create new opportunities for young innovators. Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Welcome back, Dale. How did uh, the first part of the podcast recording go for you? I think it went quite well, Gord. They didn't throw me out, so... <laughs> Have you found that since the first one aired that people are stopping you on the street and asking, are you Dale Somerville from the podcast? Uh, no, that actually hasn't happened yet, Gord, but of course we're all trying to market this program that uh, Brian has supported uh, to get the word out and, and also to encourage young people to consider CPA as a career. Excellent. Good to hear. Well, thanks for coming back for part two. And um, yeah, today we're going to toss some more questions at you about taxes and how people can prepare their returns and uh, maximize their refunds and minimize the amount they pay and that kind of thing. So I'll be throwing a few questions at you from all over different directions. So we'll get rolling. I guess first off, a couple of questions that might be of interest to post-secondary students in Alberta. Are scholarships deductible or people have to pay taxes on scholarships and bursaries? Depends on the merits of the individual situation, but in general rule, uh, there's a, a break for tax on scholarships. And I also see you have noted there a little tag there about uh, bus passes or yeah. transit passes. And the, there's no longer a, any relief on your tax return for that. And that was a decision that was made... Uh, I think in the 2017 taxation year, but that's been gone for a while. You're not able to claim those as a uh, deduction or as a credit. And that's for anyone who buys a bus pass regardless Correct. of, even if they're lower income or seniors or something? Correct. Great. Thanks for that. I want to talk a bit now about uh, self-employed individuals. There are many people who, who work for themselves. And I understand, or I, you know, I've heard that uh, they have a wider range of deductions that they can use. What, what exactly can a self-employed individual deduct from their business income? Gord, the rules for uh, individuals that are self-employed, uh, the, what you can deduct is very similar to what you can deduct if you're incorporated. That's sort of something to mention. Uh, there's four basic tests that are contained in the Income Tax Act that we always look at. Uh, one of them is is the item of a capital nature. So, if, for example, a motor vehicle, you can't write off a car in one year. Actually, you can if it's a zero-emission vehicle. That's a new change. Oh, interesting. But uh, we don't see a lot of those yet in Alberta. And uh, so that's the first rule. It can't be of a capital nature. Second one is it can't be personal. So, for example, uh, if you bought cat food, uh, probably not going to get a deduction for that. You could argue you had a guard cat in your business, but, again, that's probably unlikely to pass the test. 
the other one is it has to be incurred to earn income. So it has to be some link, some that you can explain. I spent this money because I think it's going to help or continue to uh, help me generate revenue in my business. And finally, the amount has to be reasonable in the circumstances. So, for example, if you decide you and a uh, decide to have a meeting with someone and you fly all the way to Maui for the meeting and then fly back to Edmonton, pretty tough sledding trying to deduct that trip when you could have met with the person right here in Edmonton. So those are four rules that we like to use. Uh, another rule I like to use, Gord, kind of on the funny side, is I call it the smile test. And if the client can explain why they need to spend that money in their business without smiling, well, that's a pretty good start. But if they can't keep a straight face, we just don't even bother including it as an expense. Um, just for, for families that might be tuning in, are there any tax credits for adopting a child? Yes. Um, the process of adoption can be quite expensive. So you can claim an amount for an eligible adoption uh, related to, you know, adopting a child who's under, has to be somebody under 18 years of age at the time the uh, adoption order is issued. And the maximum claim for each child under this program is $16,255. Well, can it cost that much to adopt a child? I guess so. And I've, I, I think it can cost substantially more than that, but that's the amount that the uh, government has come up with for this particular item. Hmm. And what about uh, for individuals with, dis with disabilities? Are there any um, specific tax credits for people in that category? Gord, this area has been missed by many, many, many taxpayers in Canada. Hmm. And we have the questionnaires at the office and often we'll, for example, you might have a couple in the office and you notice that one of them is walking with a cane or one of them's in a wheelchair or one of them is having difficulty understanding the conversation or they're, they're having difficulty seeing or they're having trouble hearing. So any of these uh, daily activities, if they're hampered substantially, that person uh, may be eligible for the disability tax credit. And you can also... Sometimes we don't discover this because perhaps one of the spouses brings all the information and we don't actually see the other spouse for a period of time. And there is an element sometimes with families where they conceal if someone's having a tough time, let's say, with dementia. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can go back, or we often go back uh, 10 years. And the key thing is you want to have the application form completed by an authorized uh, person and most often it's going to be a medical doctor. That seems to be the most common one. And it's very important that people keep track of who their physician was because sometimes over a 10-year period you might have six or eight physicians and you want to be able to go back to that first one and say, my mom or my dad uh, came to see you back in 1999 or 2005 or whatever it was and they were struggling with uh, dementia would you complete this form? And then we can go back and, and get the credit. And the credit is, uh, it's the amount that you can claim is $8,416 per year. So it adds up uh, to a substantial amount. And uh, you can also claim that uh, disability amount uh, in addition to your, for yourself, you can also claim for your spouse and if you have uh, an eligible dependent. 
But the questionnaire, people should just become familiar with that questionnaire. Uh, it looks at uh, feeding yourself, clothing yourself, how far can you walk without assistance, things like that. So often uh, you think you're not disabled, but you meet the definition. Just like a lot of us don't want to be, even if we do meet the senior citizen test at a restaurant, we don't want to get the discount. So Yes, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that. I mean, that is uh, something I did not know, and uh, it's good to know that that, uh, that credit is available um, where appropriate. Um, you know, you often hear about teachers spending a lot of their own money to buy classroom supplies and so on. Are there any tax credits specifically for teachers who do that kind of thing? Gord, this has been a problem for decades. I can recall my sister-in-law was a teacher, worked in a community, and uh, in that case, it was not only school supplies, but also food. Wow. Because the number of these kids were coming to school, being dropped off, they hadn't had breakfast. And, of course, it's tough to um, concentrate when you're hungry. Yeah. There's lots of good programs now, certainly in Edmonton. Uh, there's a number of programs. I, I've been contributing to one for years and years. Uh, it used to be called the Inner City Snack Program. It kept gave kids food during the day. It makes a big difference. But for the educator of today, uh, in terms of tax, uh, on their tax return, they can claim a tax credit of up to 15% of $1,000 of eligible teaching supplies. And the supplies, you know, there's a, of course, with any, anytime they're giving you money back, there's rules you have to comply with. So it has to be uh, teaching supplies for teaching or facilitating students' learning and the supplies were, have to be directly consumed or used in an elementary or secondary school or in a regulated childcare facility in the performance of their employment and so on and so forth. So there are some specific rules, uh, but it's, it is nice that they're recognizing finally that a lot of times teachers are reaching into their own pockets to um, make the education experience better for their students. Yeah, you think if they put that in place, it must be quite widespread for teachers to be spending their own money yeah, on things like that. Yeah, I think like it that. is, for sure. Well, good to know. So just switching gears a bit again, are there any special considerations we need to keep in mind or one needs to make when, when a taxpayer's died? Say one of your parents passes away and you're dealing with their estate. What are the considerations from a tax perspective that uh, should be kept in mind? Well, Gord, the first thing is, uh, first of all, it's a difficult time for the family, and uh, but as soon as possible, they should be informed that it's necessary to file what we call a terminal income tax return that goes from January 1 of the year they passed away in up to the date of their death. And that's the, that's the final day for that individual to file a tax return. And we talked about the deadlines for filing those returns uh, in our previous podcast. That's the first rule. And then for the any income that's earned after the date of death, that's going to be the subject of a T3 trust and information return as opposed to a T1 individual income tax return. Um, one of the key considerations when somebody passes away, and uh, there's two things here. One, if it's a single person, so for example, a, a single or a, a widow or a widower, and there's no one left of that generation that in the family, then that person's deemed to have disposed of all of their capital assets at fair market value on the date they died. So that could apply to real estate, uh, 
investments, stocks and bonds, things like that, uh, shares of private corporations and so on. So it could be a significant tax hit for an individual on death. And the old story, you mentioned death and taxes. This is a perfect example of the government uh, swooping in. Now, we're lucky we don't have an estate tax in Alberta. That was my next question. This is just an income. It's just taxing the income that you've earned but haven't realized at death. So it's not looking at your total assets and charging you a percentage of that. We haven't uh, stooped to that level yet here in Alberta. Is that, do they have that in other provinces? It's, uh, it's, it's, every jurisdiction has, has different rules. Certainly stateside, they're keener on going after the estate value. So um, once you've gone through that process, you know, that's how you determine the total amount of tax owing. And often, if you have an asset-rich, cash-poor client, it causes difficulties in the estate because there's this big tax bill but not enough cash. So things have to be liquidated and it might, so it's always a good idea to plan, do some estate planning and ask these questions before your history so that your estate can be, uh, can function efficiently and reduce the amount of tax overall. So that's the situation if you're the last person in that generation. If you're, let's say, have a spouse uh, on your death, if your will says, I leave everything to my spouse, Everything transfers to your spouse and at your cost base, and now we don't have to worry about it. So I was just reading in a in a book uh, talking about these matters, and uh, the book's a little bit older, but it said that usually when, uh, in the typical situation, when the male spouse passes away and the female spouse, if they're about the same age, she's going to last sort of nine years longer. So mm-hmm. she's got nine more years to figure it out. Uh, so there, there's a, that is a bit of relief there. So that until they're both gone, we don't have to worry about uh, taxing those unrealized gains. I didn't know that. Interesting. So what happens if the deceased was expected to receive income after the date of their death? Well, Gord, there's a separate return that could be filed on death called the Rights and Things Return. And that's a return that would include those items. And the nice thing about each of those returns you can file at death is they all have the uh, basic exemptions, so you're able to make multiple use of those. Okay. So this is a question you probably get asked a million times a year. Can, you, can a person claim moving expenses on a tax return? Uh, yes. And um, we look after a large moving company, and I've often thought perhaps we should give them some promotional material to give to their clientele, because if they meet certain tests, a whole bunch of these moving costs are deductible. Even if it's unrelated to a business? Well, the main thing is, uh, if you're an employee, you want to be moving 40 kilometers closer to that business or new business. So there's a few tests. And likewise, students can claim this if they're moving to and from. There's actually a recent uh, story on the national news where this fellow was moving in a canoe Hmm. Uh, somewhere around Ottawa, and he'd done it 26 times, and they were finally getting, they were starting to get upset about his frequent claims, but it was all legitimate. Hmm. And the joke was that the canoe was one of our original ways of getting around, and the tax department was trying to dispel that, you know, not allow that deduction when it's about as Canadian as it gets. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so you'd asked about, well, what kind of expenses could somebody claim if they were eligible to deduct their move? 
and uh, transportation, storage costs, uh, travel expenses. You can also make a claim for temporary living expenses. I think you get up to about 15 days for that. Uh, cost of canceling a lease in an old home, cost of selling the old home, cost of buying the new home. It can be a substantial amount of money, uh, particularly on the real estate commissions, for example. That can be a sizable uh, amount. The moving costs, um, I don't know if you saw in the news this week that um, a moving company had dropped a famous pianist, four-pedal grand piano. Yeah, yeah. $200,000. Yeah, so I think maybe insurance premiums that moving companies are going to go up and we're all going to be paying more for our moves. But that was a tragic story, a beautiful piano, and that gal had been playing it for 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's covered in moving, and um, it's uh, it's quite a favorable rule in the Act to permit people from moving to a new job uh, or, you know, been told by their employer they're going to another division or whatever, they can, as long as they're moving 40 kilometers or more closer to be employed or run, a, run their own business in any location, they can make use of these rules. Good to know. And then what about uh, dues, like professional dues? You pay professional dues as a CPA um, and part of a regulated profession. I, I know you get great value for those dues, but can, uh, can a person um, claim those? And, and what about union dues as well? The rules there are quite simple. Annual dues for membership in a trade union or an association of public servants, professional boards uh, that are required under either federal, uh, provincial, or territorial laws, uh, malpractice insurance premiums, dues required to keep uh, professional status, for example, like the CPA dues that we pay, and um, some parity or advisory committee dues. These types of dues uh, are deductible, and uh, if the, for those that you paid in the year, you can write them off. Yeah, good to know. What about uh, daycare costs or nanny costs? That's something a lot of families deal with um, these days. Are those costs something that can be deducted? Uh, yes, Gord. Uh, Child care expenses, uh, there's limits, and they're based. the limits are based on the age of the children, and whether the children have a disability or not. And um, the they're generally deducted by the lower income spouse. That spouse has to have some income. I mean, that's kind of the purpose of this in the background is to provide some relief for uh, the second earner in the family that's often going back to work while they're still uh, kids. And the uh, payments that are deductible that form part of the, of the amount uh, any payments you made to caregivers that are providing childcare services, so that could be day nursery schools, uh, daycares, educational institutions, for a part of the fee that relates to childcare, because some educational institutions will have a program for early in the morning and after school until their kids are able to be picked up. Uh, day camps, day sports schools, where the primary goal of the camp is to care for the kids, and also boarding schools, overnight sports schools, um, and uh, camps where lodging is involved. So the child must be under 16 years of age or uh, could be older than that if they had a physical or a mental impairment. And I guess the thinking there is that once somebody's 16, they can look after themselves. And I'm not sure about you, Gord, how old you were when you were uh, on your own. But I think back in the old days, the age was 12. Well, um, 
Can a person claim spousal or child support payments on their tax return? Uh, child support since 1997 cannot be claimed as a deduction. And that's um, disturbing to a number of our clients when they hear that. They just assume that it would be a deduction. Of course, if it's going to be a deduction, whatever it is, if there's a deduction on the other side, it's going to be an income inclusion. So somebody's going to suffer uh, one or the other. Now, uh, spousal support payments, it's possible to deduct those, and they can only be claimed if there's a, there's five tests that have to be met. And it might be worthwhile to go through those five tests, so just so that you don't have frivolous applications of this rule, and so people have a really good understanding of what's required. First of all, the payment has to be a specific amount made to the recipient according to either a court order or a written agreement. So there's a degree of formality here that has to be met. If the recipient is the payer's current or former spouse or common law partner, the payer has to be living separate and apart from the recipient at the time the payment is made. And the reason for that is, of course, is breakdown of a relationship. It's one of these situations where you can't be getting some benefit and perhaps still be getting some other benefits by sharing house expenses and, you know, whatever. The payment has to be made in support of the recipient. So that's the whole idea of the support payment. And the payments can be used by the recipient at their discretion. There's no strings attached. The payments are supposed to be made on a periodic basis. And the timing typically is set out, it must be set out in the court order or the written agreement. And payments are made to the recipient or, in some cases, to an agent uh, enforcing the collection of this amount. So in Alberta, we have an organization that's operated by the provincial government. The maintenance enforcement? Or? Correct. Yeah. To make sure that uh, these payments are kept up to date. So you can either make the payment directly to that former spouse, let's say, or to maintenance enforcement, and you'll get the deduction uh, either way. And does the does recipient spouse have to declare that as income? Yes. Okay. So are there any types of income that people don't have to include on their returns? I'm trying to figure out what that would be, but... Well, Gord, uh, there always has to be some sunshine in the equation. Even right? on the darkest day? So you see these ads on television where someone's won 50 or $60 million in one of the um, approved provincial lotteries. That money comes to you tax-free. So that's $50 million, let's say, net. That's the actual amount you get. That's fantastic. Now, of course, as soon as that money starts earning money, whatever you're earning from that, that it would become income you're going to have to pay tax on. But that initial chunk of dough, that's all yours. So there's no tax. So you should go out and spend it right away then. Is well, that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying no, that. Okay. No, it's, uh, that's, that would not be my recommendation. Now, uh, if you're the recipient of gifts or inheritances, there's no tax on those either here in Canada. U.S. has a gift tax. We don't here in Alberta. And it's a interesting area. And there's some people whose practices focus in on this. Like what is the appropriate amount for a gift to a future beneficiary of your estate? What age, how many dollars at what age, and so on. It's, uh, it's quite a a complex area. Now, if if you have someone who receives an amount 
either from Can- the Canadian government or an allied country, uh, for disability or death of a war veteran due to war service, that amount is not taxable. The GST credit and CCB benefits or payments are not taxable. If you got compensation from a province or a territory, if you were a victim of crime or in a motor vehicle accident, like that unsatisfied judgment fund, those amounts also are not taxable. Uh, most types of strike pay that you receive from your union uh, are not uh, taxable. And I think uh, for a lot of uh, unions now, what they're doing is they're recommending to the members to put money into their TFSA accounts. Tax-free savings accounts? Right. And then, uh, so they actually have their own personal strike fund. If if a strike, if a work stoppage goes for an extended period of time, they could draw upon that without having to pay any tax and also receive strike pay from from their union. And then the other one that's quite significant in many cases, Gord, is amounts that you receive from a life insurance policy following someone else's death. Oh. So this is the classic example. And for many of our young clients, Gord, they come in and they've got, uh, there's two of them and they've got a couple of young kids bouncing on their knee. And you think back to those old life insurance Uh, sales pitches where they have the binder and they open up the binder and there's a family of four and then they flip the page and and mom or dad is missing. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that means that earnings from that person is not there anymore. And the idea of the life insurance is to fill in the gap so that the kids could attend post-secondary school, they could still stay in the house and all this type of thing. And so there's quite a few cases where uh, people are, I think, underinsured, but those that are insured in an event like this, that spouse, when they receive that money, it's tax-free, and uh, of course, the any earnings that are generated on it later on would be taxable. But uh, you know, that's one tool that we always recommend to people. Same with uh, disability insurance and often critical illness insurance. We recommend that for our clients because there's nothing worse than sitting down with a widow. And there's no life insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Are premiums for life insurance tax deductible? Uh, generally not. The Really the most common exception to that rule would be if a financial institution required you to have the coverage in order for them to lend you money. Oh. Uh, let's say in your business. Okay. Then it would be deductible. But in most cases, it's not. So the premiums aren't deductible and the benefits are not taxable. Great. Well, Dale, believe it or not, we've run out of time, and um, this has been fantastic. Uh, I just have one final kind of wrap-up question for you. So how does someone find out about all these uh, benefits and, you know, ways to save on your taxes and so on? Like, where do you go to find out? Like, they don't spell it out for you on your tax form. How, how can a person find out? Well, uh, generally, the tax department provides... A number of manuals that you can access on the internet, and if you want, you can print off a PDF. Also, there are a number of, they're phasing out interpretation bulletins and information circulars, and they're going to a folio system. So often there'll be a folio, let's say, on moving expenses, which will go into quite a bit of detail as to what is and what isn't a moving expense and when you can claim it and what if you have more expenses than you have income, etc., etc. So there's lots of information there. Um, and then I think it's important to sort of keep abreast and uh, keep your eyes open for changes or new rules. And a couple of my favorite authors 
that are writing on tax matters. Uh, one of them is uh, Tim Sesnick. Uh, Tim is a CPA and uh, from Ontario, and a number of his articles are right on the money. Uh, for example, one of his common uh, topics is what happens with the family cabin when the matriarch and the patriarch of the family pass away, and how can you deal with that issue? And then uh, Jamie Gollumbeck, uh, who's with uh, CIBC in Toronto at their head office, he's a vice president of planning, I think. Uh, he writes a number of good articles on tax, changes to tax. Um, they do a lot of planning for year-end deductions. So they have a number of uh, predictable article timings throughout the year. But those two, that's a couple of good sources. And then, of course, there are other uh, books that are available. Uh, one that the I know the Department of National Revenue uses. It's called Preparing Your Income Tax Returns. And it's, uh, it's published by Walters Kluwer, which is one of the big uh, publishers in Canada. And uh, it has, it's only about 1,235 pages long. Oh, I could read that this weekend. Then. Yeah, it's a, it's a heavy one, Gord. Well, Dale, thank you so much. This has been very enlightening uh, for me and I hope for our listeners as well. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to take part in both episodes of this uh, two-parter. And um, yeah, happy tax season, Dale. Thanks, Gord. It's been my pleasure. Nice to see you. This episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth is the second in a two-part special on taxes. And I want to thank everyone for listening in to these podcasts. Make sure to tune into our next episode featuring a CPA answering the question, What mistake has taught you the most? Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear or subjects you'd like to have covered on podcasts or have any feedback for us to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca. That's knowledgecenter, all one word, at cpaalberta.ca. Or leave us a message on social media. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.